Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe. And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Okay, Joe, we're going to do some quick takes to start off this episode. What's a quick take? Well, I'm going to throw out something, and I'm going to ask for your feedback. Okay. Um, like, kind of like, top of your head, what comes to mind oh, right away. this is dangerous. You're going to keep a PG, because <laughs> you're a good man. But, uh, all right, first one. Grading, red pen or purple pen? Red pen. Why? Why purple? Well, the children's feelings. We have to oh, care about their please. feelings. You're a red pen man. Yes. Okay. Uh, faculty all emails. Love them. Save them all the time. <laughs> I have them all archived because they're hilarious. What about sending an email to the whole faculty? Uh, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> like like accidental faculty reply alls? Is that what uh, you mean? I am guilty of that. Uh, and uh, no, I have to send. Yeah, I've sent some before. What's what? I mean, am I pro or? No, against? like, like, are you cool with it or is like stressful for you? I feel oh, like there's yeah. a lot of pressure when you're oh, emailing is. the entire faculty. Especially from your peers because they'll like, you know, criticize your spelling or they criticize your wording or it's great. So you have a really supportive community, huh? They hold me to higher standards. <laughs> uh, faculty meetings. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give you a pass on that one. Your boss might be necessary. Necessary evils. Okay. Um, cafeteria food. I don't eat cafeteria food because my wife makes my lunches and they're great. Oh, that's nice. Uh, coffee at school. Yes. Yes. Oh, you mean like like school at coffee? School? No. No school coffee. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any quick takes for me? Um. Well, I wanted to talk about other things. What do you want to talk about? I'm 34. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. I forgot. You've, this is the first podcast you've ever recorded as a 34-year-old. I'm 34 years old. I have uh, been teaching now for 10 years, and summer is just right around the corner, <laughs> and I'm so excited. This is the this is definitely like kind of the last push of the school year, so shout out to teachers right now. Hang in there. We're almost there, and I get to enjoy... Uh, my age now being 10 years in and just like this is kind of the the i'm looking forward to the resurrection basically (laughs) resurrection has happened this is like resurrection part two (laughs) i am very much in the in the cave tunnel tomb tomb (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean it is it's always that like when the last bell rings for summer and you just that huge feeling of relief and you're like this is why I'm a teacher. This feeling right here <laughs> is what I've worked for all year just to savor this, like, thought that I'm going to have three months off. And we know many teachers don't actually get to take their three months off for various reasons. Like, you're teaching summer school. Woo-hoo. Sorry to burst your bubble. But you like summer school. I mean, it's kind of a different pace, yeah. right? What's also exciting is that my second semester seniors are almost out of the door. Yeah, that that's been... That's been a desolation for you lately, hasn't it? It's just, it's, I understand where they're at, and they've, they've been out of the tomb for a long time once they got accepted to college, so I get that. It's like, 
you know, my class is basically begging them to drag them back inside the tomb. But, you know, they are kind of getting nostalgic and they keep asking me, like, Janelle, are you going to miss us? <laughs> Which I always have to just say, I will miss all of my students. But my job is that you're out of here. And I'm not <laughs> doing my job if you're not out of here. So, yes, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Move make along. Us, make us proud. But the funny thing is, you know, it come, like, September 15th, some senior is going to pop back around or graduated, you know, senior is going to just to just to show his face around there and be like, yeah, hey, and be like, I'm hey, on campus. Joe. Yeah, I call you, <laughs> call you by your first name and make things really uncomfortable. <laughs> they love you. They really do. Hopefully. It's not about me, though. That's true. It's about forming saints and scholars. Speaking of saints and scholars. Yes. There is an awesome person that we get to talk to today. Is she a saint? Is she a scholar? Is she both? Is she forming both? She is definitely a scholar, and like all of us, she is a saint in progress. And also really good at forming saints, or at least inspiring us all to be saints. Um, great blast from our past, from our Notre Dame days, just like all of our guests have been, I guess. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not giving the intro. You yeah, the you intro? are. You're, you're in the intro. No, Go I'm, for I'm it. just, that was just the teaser. Oh, that's the teaser. Yeah. Well, now all of our listeners on the edge of their seat thinking, who is this? So our guest for today is Meg Hunter-Kilmer. I met Meg, I didn't meet Meg until I was in Atlanta doing Ace, and you knew Meg in undergrad. We were in a band together. You were in a band together. Log you... Chapel band, shout out. Oh, you were playing like. In the log chapel, not not like a rock band. Oh well, kind of. We played uh, music for our Tuesday night masses at the log chapel at Notre Dame's campus, but then we would also just jam out in the log chapel, and then we'd have a concert every now and then. And we recorded a CD. Are you still selling your CD? It's, Did you ever sell your CD? No, Is it's it available? Free. It's out there somewhere. All right, we're gonna put a sample at the end of this at the end of this podcast. All Stay right. tuned for the sample. Meg, welcome to our show. I'm so excited to be here, yeah. and I'm so sad that Joe defended us as a real band, because I get massive street cred off of having been in a band. <laughs> that, yeah, that pretty much will do it. It was it was. I was the girl with the microphone. I didn't have any instruments. I was that girl. But that's fine. It's okay, because other people had legitimate instruments, so we were real. Yeah, you, so you had guitar, saxophone. Mandolin. Mandolin. Yeah, piano, bass. Various oh, yeah. different kinds of percussion. Somebody oh, yeah. came with a violin sometimes. Organ. We had that organ and banjo mask that we did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shout out Ben Wilson, Paul Van Leeuwen, Andy Lapsey, and all of our other friends. Yeah, the whole crew. Those were the days. Wow. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It was amazing and strange. <laughs> organ was, and banjo mashup yeah but it was a great outlet for all of us i thought that was my outlet for it sure it was it was it was musically beautiful and spiritually beautiful it was the kind of thing where we would just sit around one o'clock in the morning and people were like but is it really going to express the trinity if we use this lyric instead of <laughs> oh, God. this is what life is supposed to be <laughs> i miss those days <laughs> That's awesome. Meg, tell us about uh, being a teacher. I remember you were teaching at Holy Spirit Prep uh, in Atlanta when I knew you, right? Yeah. So I um, did my undergrad at Notre Dame, got my master's in theology, and then jumped right into the classroom ready to save souls and the world, regardless of the fact that it already had a savior. Um, <laughs> and, we, 
I taught in Atlanta for three years. I taught seventh through 12th grade religion. Um, and because it was Catholic school, also some other things like logic and mythology somehow. <laughs> I remember the conversation with my principal where he was like, okay, so we're going to have you teach mythology. And I was like, I, I literally haven't taken mythology since the fourth grade. I'm better equipped to teach calculus. And he like looked intrigued. He was like, oh. Do you want to teach calculus? And I'm like, I want to teach calculus. I want you to have somebody who knows what they're doing teach these classes. Um, so I taught mythology is the end of that story. Um, and then I went to Kansas and I taught at a boarding school in rural Kansas um, wow. for two years. And there I was teaching high school theology. Wow. So... Now, I remember the Holy Spirit had in, in Atlanta had its own like kind of unique culture. It was not your typical Catholic school. So tell me about like the teaching robes. Did you wear the, the Harry Potter teaching no. robes? No, it was so weird. So the first, this school, like, God love them. They're doing great things. Um, but they were like this brand new school and they wanted to like make a culture. And that's a hard thing to do. And so like they had some ideas of things that they could do that would be like, special Holy Spirit things. And one of them was a robe that the teachers could wear like we were Oxford Dons or something. <laughs> and I had a friend who actually taught in his robe every day. And I put mine on for graduation. And <laughs> that was it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting kind of sidebar of like, I was listening to um, Catholic, School, Catholic School Matters, which is another um, podcast about Catholic schools. And they were talking about uh, creating a culture in, in Catholic schools that are that are opening and brand new. And how do you just kind of start from ground zero and create a culture and say, like, come enroll in our school. And these are our these are our things, you know? Yeah, uh, it, like... it is a tricky thing. But I feel like I don't know if it's me. I think that my approach would be a little bit more like, okay, like what saints can we really make a part of our environment? And like what competitions are going to build camaraderie? And there was definitely some of that, like for sure. Mm -hmm. But it also sort of spilled over into like the teachers wore a teacher uniform on Wednesdays, mm. you know? <laughs> and I interviewed on a Wednesday and I was like, they're all wearing the same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so normal to them that nobody thought to say like, oh, it's a mass day. And on mass day, we have like a dress code. And so I was just like, everybody's wearing the same tie. Why are all the grownups wearing the same tie? It was, very, it was interesting. It was, you know, a lot of beautiful things happening in that school. But every school has its own sort of funny quirks that you have to get used to. Yeah, that's really true. But so you, you just learned, like found your teaching feet on the fly. You didn't have background in teaching. Is that right? No. And I had, I took one education course kind of, that's, that's uh, more than me. <laughs> yeah. It's more than Joe. So I mean, congratulations. It was interesting. Um, and I think that, you know, for some people teaching is something that's like so much just a part of who you are that it's gonna work, you know, and it would maybe be helpful to have some theory behind it, but, but it's gonna work. And for other people, like it really has to be more of an intellectual and organized approach. Um, and I, I've just always been a performer, um, and always been an intellectual. And so it, it worked. Uh, I probably could have done with some more lesson planning. Uh, <laughs> my first 
four or five years of. <laughs> no, I, I figured it out. I, eventually, I, I had one year where I taught the whole year because I only had one class that was taking this particular section. And then at the end of the year, I went to the best student and I asked for her notebook and I typed up everything that she had written down. <laughs> and I taught from that for the next four years. Oh my goodness. And, you know, improved upon it and everything. But I was like, I just, it, I've never been a sit down and plan things out kind of a presenter. So. I would have loved a bit of fly on the wall in your mythology class. Oh my goodness. It was so, it was ungraded for seventh graders and you weren't allowed to give homework. So it was just like, it was so ridiculous. And then one day the, the kids kept showing up late and I didn't have like recourse to really anything. So one day, this, these same kids were late again, and I just turned to the class, and I was like, okay, <clears throat> everybody take out a piece of paper and just start writing. And they're like, what do you want us to write? I was like, I don't care, but if you can look scared, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, okay, seventh graders are so much fun. Um, one, one girl raised her hand, and she was like, I can fake cry. And I was like, girl, cry. Do it. So... They, these kids walk into the classroom and everybody's like writing, 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 and one girl's crying and everybody look, keeps looking up at me and then looking back at their paper afraid. And so these kids who walk in, they have no idea what's going on. And they like silently walk to their desks and they silently took out their papers and they took <laughs> one of them raised his hand. He was like, um, Miss HK, what are we writing? And I was like, writing a comparison between Greek mythology and the Christian understanding of who God is and why the Greek society was ripe for the introduction of the gospel at the time when St. Paul went throughout and just like, like this whole like master's thesis topic, like laid it out there and looked back at whatever I was doing. And he, he said, could you please write it on the board? <laughs> and at that point I just lost it. And I was like, bro, come on time to my class. Like, I don't know what you want me to do right now. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's my favorite teacher prank I ever pulled. Did it work? Did they improve? Oh yeah. And then the next, they were late, I think one more time. And I, like a couple of weeks later they were late. And so I looked at the classroom and I was like, if you can get out to the soccer field without them seeing you, we're playing capture the flag. And so the kids were like on the ground, like crawling underneath windows so that nobody would see them. And I like stopped by the office and I was like, hey, I've got some kids who are going to be here in a panic in about 10 minutes. So just send them down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were no grades. So like, what was like, who cares? Like, I don't care about the subject matter and I don't care about anything. So like, you're going to have me freshman year and it's going to be something different. It's a different situation. I love it. Yeah. I love hearing those like best of stories. And I'd love to hear the kids tell their version of, of you know, what they thought when they walked in your room and had to start writing. Yeah. Or the ones who like, didn't know what was going on at all because they were just ob oblivious and they were just like, she just told us to write things. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And then somebody was crying. And <laughs> strange. Oh, man. That's hilarious. So um, tell us, so you did five years of teaching and then what happened after that? Yeah, so I um I loved teaching. You know, like mythology was not the highlight of my teaching career. There were like important things that I taught them about, like Jesus and thinking and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I am I'm naturally a really angry person. I get angry really easily. Um, and in four and a half years in the classroom, I was angry two times, and I was like, "This is a miracle." 
this is like straight up supernatural grace. Yeah. Uh, but the trouble was that I taught for five years and uh, the grace was removed in that last semester. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was, it was burnout, I guess, but it was like such a dramatic difference from one semester to the next that I was like, okay, like the Lord is trying to get my attention. And so I prayed about leaving, um, <clears throat> leaving that school. I felt a lot of peace and I like pull out my Excel spreadsheet with all the schools I want to teach at and their average SAT and their dress. <laughs> Saints went there and like, you know, cause I'm ridiculous. And I felt like I was saying, I want you to pray about not teaching. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Like if there is one thing I know about myself, it's that I'm a teacher. Like literally the last time I had prayed about not teaching, I had a panic attack and almost mm-hmm. car. I mean, it was like, so this time I prayed in a chapel just, you know, for everybody. <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. Um, and I just felt this like resounding peace about not teaching. And I was like, okay, well, that's great because I've got a master's degree in theology. So, <laughs> you know, that and a winning personality will get you a second interview at McDonald's. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I know a priest friend, he was like, well, you've been wanting to do more public speaking. Um, and I was like, right, that's cute. You can't just quit life and be a public speaker. Like, that's not a thing. And again, I took it to prayer and God was just like, tell me why not. And I couldn't come up with a reason not to be homeless and unemployed, um, which is objectively a really bad idea, right? And if you're naturally a bum on the couch and you think being homeless and unemployed is a good idea, it's not, get a job. But I'm like really type A, like really achievement oriented and mm-hmm. Seemed like a good idea. I was like, well, that's got to be from God because there's no way that I would come up with this. And so I was like, okay, well, just for like two months, we'll call a sabbatical. I'll just like live out of my car for a little while and like travel and speak and write and whatnot. Um, So that was six years ago. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I have been homeless and unemployed ever since. I'm a hobo missionary. I live out of my car, so everything I own travels around the country with me in my car. I've been to all 50 states and 20 countries, driven about 180,000 miles as a hobo. So the sermon was spot on or it was like really off because I thought it was going to be two months and that's like a lot longer than two months, but it's been good. I love, love, love when I found out that this was your thing. And it it also makes sense also uh, who has the you know, who can do this and who can do this so well and so beautifully. But is, is there, is, is there a model? Is there a playbook for this? Or did, is this just straight up trust in God's providence? No, nobody does this. <laughs> nobody. I mean, there's like a history of itinerant saints, um, many of whom like either they had buddies or they were straight crazy. Um, you know, like the Holy fool, like St. Benedict Joseph Labre kind of a situation. I have, Never met anybody who has, who does this at all, um, which is, you know, it's great because it's been so good for me and just learning to trust um, and letting go of control and like just being at peace with God being God. I'm still really bad at that um, because I just have so many good ideas and he does not care about those good ideas so much of the time. (laughs) Um, but it's interesting because it, it's a kind of life that like really suits my gifts 
very well in a lot of ways. And also that is like completely the opposite of anything that I would ever choose because it's really hard in the ways that I need it to be hard. Um, so sometimes I meet people and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, oh, I think you want to backpack around Europe for six weeks after you graduate from college. Like, I think that's what you want to do. I don't <laughs> think that you want to be long-term sleeping on strangers' couches. That's not probably what's going on. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe I'll get to my judgment and Jesus will be like, baby, you thought I wanted you to be a hobo? <laughs> you know that's not a thing right there's a reason that's not a thing um but but i also think that he'll look at me and be like but you tried really hard <laughs> it was a weird thing to pick but you sure did do it good job you know i yeah, think right? the a's for Just, effort when it comes to judgment in the end it's like well i gave you my all i gave you my best yeah, yeah <laughs> the... it was it was it was a weird best, but <laughs> there we have it. Um, you have to have. I mean, we could talk hours about all the stories and moments of grace. Just the little snippets I've, whether I've read it on your social media or read it in your blog, of just all these moments of grace and in, in all your travels, just being so present to 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 Christ and all that you encounter. I mean, so I'm just that's a quick sell for for people to follow your social media and to so follow. Um, your blogs and everything that you've uh, been putting putting out there because yeah, uh, if you Google hobo for Christ, I'm the first hit on Google, so <laughs> really famous or just nuts. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna transition to um, the gospel that you've chosen, um, and then um, I'll read it. I'll do a couple reflection questions and then we'll read it again and then we'll just toss it back to you Meg and and let you uh, share kind of what uh, is speaking to you in this okay sounds great so this is um, Holy Gospel according to John Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there Jesus tired from his journey sat down there at the well it was about noon a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, and you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I, I may not be thirsty, or have to keep coming here to draw water. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So for your reflection, what is it that you are thirsting for? Where are the areas in your life where there's dryness, where there's thirst? Jesus is offering you this living water that you seek. Speak with Jesus. Tell him that you're thirsty. And allow him to refresh you and quench your thirst. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them.
and he stayed there for two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, Meg, so you chose... I gave that's the short version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you wanted the longer version and uh, I, I didn't... the whole gospel of John actually could we just be <laughs> that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, let's just go ahead and open it to you. I I you know, I don't I'm not sure what the your take is or what you want to focus on, but please yeah. tell us uh, just, what's speaking to you in this gospel. I just love I love this passage. I've gotten um I'm spending a lot of time right now in the gospels and just Focusing especially on Jesus's encounters with people, you know, and asking mm-hmm. myself, what kind of man makes a guy like Peter leave behind his nets? What kind of man makes a guy like Zacchaeus make a fool of himself climbing this tree? And and the Samaritan woman, she's so striking. You know, the, the verse right before the passage started, it says he had to pass through Samaria, which is great because he didn't. Like geographically, it wasn't necessary and most Jews wouldn't. Jesus had to pass through Samaria because he had to see about a girl. You know, I mean, there was, mm-hmm. was this woman at a well, and it, he makes his disciples follow him through hostile territory because there's this girl. Um, and it, and he hears this scene, and we're, we're at a well, right? And every time in the Old Testament that a man meets a woman at a well, he marries her. So that's like the, the framework that the disciples are going to have when they come back and see Jesus talking to her and that we're supposed to have when we're reading but Jesus opens the conversation and you would expect him to be like, oh, honey, hi, thanks so much. It's so good to see you. He looks at her and he says, give me a drink. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that was rude. You know, like, <laughs> say hello. And, uh, and I didn't notice that for years. And then I remember I was reading this last year and I was like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? And it, here's what I think is happening. I think that you know, here's this woman, and we, most of us probably know she's coming in the middle of the day because she's an outcast, right? She doesn't go at the at the beginning of the day or in the evening when it's cool because she doesn't want to see the other women who are at the well. She doesn't want them to taunt her. She doesn't want to have to deal with the choices that she's made. And so she goes in the heat of the day so that she can avoid all these other people. And I think that she's spent her life putting on masks so that she can get by. And if Jesus had said to her, excuse me, would you mind terribly getting me a drink? I'd really appreciate it. She just would have given him the drink and left. Hmm. But he says to her, give me a drink. And she's done. Right. (laughs) He's deliberately rude to break down her walls Hmm. because he knows the particular needs that she has. You know, I mean, many of us grew up at a time when the WWJD bracelets were cool and I think that we were supposed to wear those bracelets and be like, I should always be really super pleasant and like <laughs> and nice all the time. And like, that's not the reality of who Jesus was. You know, Jesus, like St. Paul, was all things to all people. And here's this woman who needed him to be a little bit brazen with her. And because of that, she turns and she talks. And she's like, who do you think you are? But now we're having a conversation, right? Now, now there's this connection. And I think as teachers recognizing that there isn't one way that we relate to our students, you know, like that some of them need us to be like super perky and asking how their weekend was. And, Oh my gosh, I really love your new shoes. They're not dress code, but I really love them. (laughs) Like praise the Lord. There are some students who need to be yelled at and know that they need to be yelled at. And it's really very cathartic. Um, 
And some of them need you to be really into classical guitar so that mm-hmm. they know how to connect to you. And and some of them are like this woman. And, and this woman, I mean, I just, I picture her with kind of like, I don't know, a Brooklyn accent or something. And she's just like, she's wearing her leather jacket and she just doesn't want to take any stuff from anybody. She's like done. She's so angry. And so she's like, oh yeah, you're going to give me water? Great. Fine. Show me how you're going to give me some water. You don't even have a bucket. Like, (laughs) and Jesus, like he keeps, he keeps, I think, just looking into her eyes because the language he's using isn't that compelling. Right. I mean, he doesn't say like, you are desperately loved and I'm going to die for you. He's like, I'm going to give you living water. And like, yeah, okay. That's beautiful because he's giving instead of using. And that's a new thing in her relationship with men, but I think it's the way that he's looking at her. I think that he's offering this information because he loves her. And again, as teachers, like if we're, if we're just laying out information and facts and theories to these kids, like, you know, some people just don't like math, you know, and you're not going to make them like math. And some people don't like reading and you're not going to make them like reading. But if they believe that you love them, it changes everything. You know, they might still not like math. They might get like a, a D instead of an F, right? That's something. But the reason that we teach isn't because people need to know math. Like, I, I do like math, right? It isn't because people need to know rhetoric. It isn't because they need to know even grammar. Like, I bleed grammar, right? But what they, the reason that we teach is because they need to know that they're lovable, They need to know that they deserve to be respected. They need to know that they're worth something. And I think here, when Jesus is speaking to her, what he's doing is not so much like trying to convey information about living water. I think he's trying to tell her, you deserve to be looked at and you deserve to be spoken to and you deserve to be loved. And he finally, he finally gets to her and she says, sir, give me this water. And he says, go call your husband. And she's like, oh, that's what we're doing. Right? That just like everybody else, this is where you're going. And now now you're not going to want anything to do with me. And we've had students like that, right? Where like you, you get a little bit closer than they want you to be. And they're like, oh, no, 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 because you're going to find out something about me. And then you're not going to want me either. You're not going to love me either. And it might be something deeply personal about their home life. And it might just be that they're not particularly good at handwriting, you know, like whatever their, like their thing that gets them, you get too close and they're like, no, no, I don't want this. I don't want you. I'm fine living my own life where nobody, where I don't have to let anybody in. Right. He says, go call your husband because he's like deliberately calling out her brokenness. And she says, yeah, I don't have a husband. And he looks at her and he acknowledges this like, ugly thing that she thinks defines her and he doesn't walk away he says I know you're right in saying I don't have a husband you've had five husbands the one you have now is not your husband what you've said is true and then I just picture this like long piercing stare where he looks at her and he's like I still love you, right? And we can look at the fact that they're at a well and she's had six husbands and he's the seventh and it's this like bridegroom messiah, like all of this beautiful stuff. But on a very like basic human level, he has encountered her woundedness 
and looked at her and said, that is not what defines you. Right. And for him, he says, you are mine. You are loved. But I think for us as teachers and really when we're encountering anybody, but there's there is a relationship with students where they're they're in such a vulnerable place in general in life. And then you're in this relationship with with authority and they're looking for adults who can validate them. And, you know, and you learn things about them or they make these mistakes. They let things slip, whatever. And you're like, hey, look, you are not your parents marriage. You are not your bank account. You aren't your permanent record. You aren't the mistakes that you've made. You aren't your 4.3 GPA either. You aren't your status and your popularity. Like, let's, let's break it down. You are a child of God and I love you because you're mine. Which is, you know, obviously we got to be careful the way that we're having these conversations because we want, you know, to respect boundaries and all of that. Um, But I think just this model of Jesus looking at this woman and saying, like, however hard you push me away, I'm still going to love you. And because of that, she's able to hear him, you know, and and it takes her a minute, right? She changes the subject, I think. I mean, maybe there's a connection, but he says this and they've got this piercing stare and she's like, well, I, um, why don't we talk about the mountain and where people should worship? Like, maybe which is like, let's be honest, sometimes what theologians do when spirituality is becoming too intense for us, we like parlay it into something theoretical. Um, But she like tries to push him off. And he's like, you can keep trying to push me away. I'm not going anywhere. And that experience of her pushing and pushing and pushing him away, and him saying, yeah, you know what, like, I love you. I met you at a well, girl, this is serious. That's, I think, what transforms her. It's not what he's saying. It's that he's bothering to say it to her. And from there, she goes out and she becomes the first evangelist of the Samaritans. And she she abandons her previous purpose and she runs to the people who have made her life hell to bring them this good news. If that's not conversion, like I just don't even know what the word means. More. Um, and so I think for us as Christians, To go to prayer and to say, Lord, I want to encounter you in a way that makes me turn and run to my enemies to share this good news. I want I want to be able to look at the shame of my past and say that was an avenue that God used to win my heart. I mean, the only reason that she is able to be the evangelist that she is, is because of her brokenness, because of her sinful past. That's what has her at the well there. That's what has her alone. That's what has her talking to Jesus. That's what sends her out. Um, so that for our for our own experience of Jesus, just asking for that encounter, but then looking at our relationships with our students and saying like, okay, if this were Jesus in front of the woman at the well, how's he going to talk? And what's he going to say? Lord, who do I need to be so that this child, it feels seen and loved? And that, I mean, ultimately, as teachers, like, you know, they, they can assess our teaching ability all kinds of different ways. Um, and it can be delightful, can't it? <laughs> sure. But ultimately, in Catholic schools, we're trying to make saints, mm-hmm. you know, and like, all of the rest of it is gravy. If we yeah. have saints, you know, we have a rich tradition in our church of really dumb saints, and you know, like we all love Jesus, but like 
Sometimes we just got St. Andre and St. Agatha Kim, and that is amazing, you know? It's a beautiful thing. So asking the Lord with, with specific individual, especially the hard and angry students, the ones that you just can't stand, that you, like, really keep hoping their parents get transferred to, I don't know, Azerbaijan or someplace else, right? to say, Lord, how can I see this child the way you saw the woman at the well? And how can I be present and be loving to this child the way you were to the woman at the well so that he knows that he is loved? So that's that's what I'm thinking about the woman at the well. I really love this story. Oh, my gosh. I'm never going to hear the story uh, the same way again. Right? It's so good. And he's so sassy. Like... I just love it. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. I've never heard it read that way. And also, the only thing I have in my head about it is just that it's so long. <laughs> yeah, I told I told Joey that that's when we were going to do it. He's like, that one is so long. Yeah, yeah. But, I feel like there's a lot of stories, especially in the Gospels, where like you hear the opening line and you're like, well, I know what this is. And we just settle in, you know, um, like either this is the long one or this is that seed one or, you know, like yeah. whatever it is. And uh, I've just really been trying to look at it as though I'm reading it for the first time and be like, who just says, give me a drink? Like, <laughs> who does that? And if he's doing that, why? What's what's behind this? And I think that the Gospels are just so rich if we're if we're trying to wrestle with them in that way. The I, I love and hate doing this podcast because hearing all the other, you know, awesome people who teach or have taught, it's just like, man, I am doing it wrong. Because <laughs> we open with talking about, uh, you know, how I'm ready to just get my seniors out of here. But you're right. Like, I, there's still – and I am yeah, questioning myself. It's like, do, do they know that they're enough? Do they know that um, that they are loved and that whatever it is that the world is, is tempting them to chase – you know, that or whatever it is that's making them feel insecure and inadequate that, you know, that's not their truth. That's not the truth of, of who they are and, and whose they are. So, um, but that's... I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast is, <laughs> is to help everybody remember what the goal is. And that's why we named it the long view, because if you were to say like, yep, I did it. I got it. Like they all know and they all like they're all saints. It's going to be great. And they're finished. That's then we've missed the point of of that prayer that we're reflecting on of like, we may never see the fruits. You plant the seeds, you do the hard work, you give it your best and then you give it to God and mm-hmm. trust that he'll bring it along and, and bring it to fruition in the end. But I fantasize sometimes because like, I mean, especially with the work that I do where I'm just like in and out and giving these talks or whatever, like I'm very aware that I'm planting seeds whose blooms I'm never going to see. But I also, I, I think that in the beatific vision, like, I think you you go to your judgment, you know, I do my years and years and years and who knows how long in purgatory. And I think I get in and first I'm going to like, like crazy bear hug Jesus and all of them <laughs> there. And then he's going to be like, hey, I want you to meet some people. And some of them are going to be people who like, I thought I knew on earth and I didn't really, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and my students who, who are going to say, you said this. And I didn't hear you until 30 years later when it popped into my head and I didn't even know it was you, but now I know it was you, you know, or like somebody who like overheard you voice texting in Starbucks and <laughs> the thing that you said in your voice text, they were like, oh my gosh, I really need to, what, like, it's just amazing to think about the ways, the people that we're going to get to thank and the people who are going to thank 
us. Um, and I think that, I don't know, like we can be very reward driven. And so sometimes it's really hard to be like, okay, well this kid hates me and he's hated me since he walked through the doors and he literally sicked his father on me on graduation day to tell me I'm a human being. Uh, but you know what? Like that might not be the end, you know? Yeah. I would be perfectly happy not to see that kid ever again. Um, in this world, but, uh, both of us purified, there might be a conversation to be had there. And that's an exciting thing. That's so true. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. Well, speaking of saints and the beatific vision, as we kind of start to wrap up our time together, I'm, you are really all about the saints and you always have like the very best stories about saints. I also want to know, just to jump in what you mentioned earlier, what are your top 10 dumb saints (laughs) (laughs) for, you know, this Top 10 saints for our struggling students to be uh, asking for their intercession. <laughs> okay, I will tell you, my favorite my favorite dumb saint, God lover, um, Saint Agatha Kim. She was Korean, um, 19th century, and she was born into a pagan family, and she was married to a pagan guy, and her sister became uh, a Christian, and eventually was martyred and is a saint. I think her name is Magdalene, Saint Magdalene Kim. Um but Agatha was, like, kind of a Christian, but then, like, also had idols and performed sacrifices, which, like, to be fair, it took the Korean church a little while to figure that out because they evangelized themselves and had no priests for the first 40 years of Catholicism. Whoa. They had one priest for six years for the entire country total. They're, like, incredible. The church in Korea is so amazing. But, so, like, Agatha, she's, like, trying to figure this out, and then her sister was like, you can't have idols and she was like oh okay so she like went home and smashed them all and her husband was like not thrilled about that and she was like okay no but I'm gonna be a Christian so she goes to the Christian community and she's like I'm gonna be a Christian and they were like okay great let's learn the creed and she said I only know Jesus and Mary (laughs) um how about the our father can you learn the our father and she's like I only know Jesus and Mary and they were like repeat after me hail Mary and she's like I only know Jesus and Mary actually refused to baptize her because they said she was too dumb to baptize um wow is bad theology but again like really not their fault they literally had one book that somebody found um and so she was like okay and she like went home but her husband was so angry about the idol situation that he had had her arrested as a christian and she's brought before the magistrates and she's tortured just gruesomely tortured and they were like tell us that you will deny your faith and she said i only know jesus and mary and they said, tell us where the Christians are hiding. And she said, I only know Jesus and Mary. Hmm. And her great shame became her crowning glory. And when oh, she wow. was thrown into prison, the other Christians bowed before her. And they said, here is Agatha, who only knows Jesus and Mary. And they begged her mercy and they baptized her. And she died a martyr. And I mean, just like like to be to have such little intellectual capacity that you can't even learn the Hail Mary. But yeah. you are a canonized saint. saint yeah. you know, and, and that perspective as teachers also to be like, because it can be really frustrating teaching students who have a hard time learning. Uh, but to recognize that like, it's much more important that they love Jesus. Uh, like mm-hmm. the learning is also really, really great. But like if we're picking... We pick Jesus. So Agatha is a great intercessor for students who struggle. Okay. How about for our teachers? Uh, um, So I like, I like the, 
the sort of hipster saints. Like I don't do mainstream saints really. Um, so like, <laughs> like she's a teacher and John Bosco, he's great. Like read his letters, read his biography of St. Dominic Savio. If you want to know how to love your students, shoot. Or if you just want to be a saint, cause Dominic Savio is amazing. Um, but I, there are two saints who share a feast day and they're totally unrelated um, on paper, but it's St. Benildus and St. Um, Cassian. And some teachers have probably heard of St. Cassian. St. Cassian was, uh, I think, in the 4th century. Yeah, St. Cassian of Imola was in the 4th century, and he he taught all of these little Roman kids, and they hated him. They hated him so much. And we don't know if they hated him because he was, like, stern and encouraging, like, Mr. Feeney, or if he was just like, <laughs> a terrible teacher. Um, but he was... He was condemned to death for being a Christian, and he was he was killed, um, executed by stabbing to death with his students' styluses. Oh man! So like, talk about worst teacher nightmare, right? Like, not only do these kids hate you, but they're armed and attacked <laughs> by the state with your demise. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. So I, it's ten is like, mightier than the sword. <laughs> exactly on those like worst case scenario days where you're like like teaching could not possibly be worse than what i'm dealing with right now like it could it could be um so saint cashin of imola is great when your students really hate you and you're doing the best you can but on the same day as saint benildus um and saint benildus was a 19th century frenchman and he was one of um the christian brothers you know with like the funny collar thing sure um and he went and taught in rural France. Um, and uh, it was a whole bunch of like, in, he was this tiny little thing with little diminutive little man. And he goes into this farming community with these like huge corn fed, illiterate kids who didn't want anything to do with him. But he was like super tough and also really, really loving. Um, and every one of his students thought that they were his favorite, but he just, he worked so hard. He learned sign language because there was an 18 year old who hadn't made his first communion because they couldn't instruct him. Uh, mm. So he like kind of made up a new version of sign language because nobody learned sign language at the time. Uh, and he like he would play games with his students and he helped them make musical instruments. And then he bought back all the musical instruments so that their parents didn't have to deal with that. Um, which uh, was, he is a saint. Yeah, and he started <laughs> night school for the parents because they hadn't really been educated. Uh, but there's this great line. This is the reason that I love him. He said, I imagine that the angels themselves if they came down as schoolmasters, would find it hard to control their anger. Only with the help of the Blessed Virgin do I keep from murdering some of them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? This man is a saint and, like, incredibly loved. And he's just, like, straight up honest. Like, I really kind of want to murder some of these kids. But, like, God's grace is bigger than my rage. Uh, and Mary. Let's and have Mary. Mary. Yeah, all kinds of intercession there. Um, and then the the third teacher that I really like is she's she's a venerable, venerable Teresa Valse Pantellini. So she was um, also 19th century. She was Italian and she was born into this rich family and she was like a concert pianist and studied all these languages. But she became a Salesian sister and they actually didn't want to let her in because they thought that she was too frou frou. They're like, you're not going to be able to handle the kind of students that we deal with because this is like john bosco 19th century like 
these students are being told either you're doing time or you're going to John Bosco. Right. And Mm. I mean, he's like basically dragging them out of the penitentiary in order to take them to school. And she's working with girls, but girls in 19th century urban Italy, like they're, they can be tough. Um, And she like, she kept going back to this convent until they finally let her in. And she just became this amazing teacher who again, loved her students. And that, that I think is the thread between all good teachers is that love of students. It can look totally different pedagogically, but she loved her students. And uh, even though they were like terrifying woman at the well style, sassy, angry girls, she would do the hardest work for them. I mean, not like academic work, like she was helping them work in a laundry and she would do the hardest work for them. Um, And she, at one point, one of the girls spat in her face Mm. and she wiped it off and she responded with gentleness and love, which isn't like a recommendation that that's the way that that ought to be done necessarily. But for her, she was, I mean, this is a, this is a woman who could have married nobility and she's being spat in the face by urchins, but she just loved them. And um, she ended up getting tuberculosis, and so she was replaced. Somebody else was in charge of her girls, and they wouldn't work as hard for this new sister as they worked for her. So she would sneak out of bed in the middle of the night to like do their work for them uh-huh. so they wouldn't get in trouble uh, in secret, sorting the laundry in the middle of the night. And she, she prayed because she suffered terribly, and she prayed, whatever you want, Jesus, I want it too, and for as long as you want it. Uh, and at one point, she's in the infirmary, and she's dying. She was like 28, and John Bosco appeared in the infirmary. And he offered to heal her, and she told him he had the wrong bed. Oh. And her, t- she sent him to her neighbor, um, who had been sick for ten years. She said, "No, no, she's the one who needs the healing." And that that sister recovered and lived another thirty years. And uh, Venerable Teresa died a month later. Um, just wow. always, I mean, she she could have been all about herself with the upbringing that she had, but it was she was always just trying to pass God's grace on to other people so venerable teresa valse pantelini (laughs) those are awesome and i i knew i knew you'd come in in the clutch because you know you think of okay yeah standard catholic school teachers i could rattle off or catholic school saints you know i could rattle off some well-known ones but those are so awesome and so encouraging for teachers i love the ones who you can see like the reality of the hardship you know Mm -hmm. like Benilda's saying he wanted to murder people. Cashin literally being murdered by people. Teresa, who's like trying so hard to love and they literally spat in her face. And you're just like, okay, you know what? Like the vocation to be a teacher is a vocation to sainthood. Yeah. And I'm being given an opportunity every single day to live heroic virtue. And it might be in really small ways, but like when you're a teacher, like shoot, you're being asked every single day to love with the love of Jesus and to be united to him on the cross. And I think like all of these stories at the end of the day, none of them would have been like, Oh my gosh, I had my saint moment today, you know, except cash when he was dead. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that Benildas wasn't like, Oh, you wouldn't believe the thing I said about murdering students today or oh gosh, <laughs> bought back the instruments. I just got myself a halo. You know, it's like ordinary, things but they're trying to love with the love of jesus and that's what makes saints amen sister amen all right meg where can people find you i want everybody to follow you yeah 
Um, so if you Google Hobo for Christ, you'll find me. My website is piercedhands.com. Um, and then you can click over out there buttons on the side. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm really bad at Twitter. I'm trying to be better about it and I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I'm, I'm working, I'm retweeting some things sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I am currently on sabbatical. Um, and I don't have any idea what God is doing with me next, but you can contact me through my website. If you want to invite me to come and speak, I don't charge any money. Um, and I'll talk about whatever you want to any audience between the ages one and 98. If you have a 99 year old, that would be very exciting. Um, <laughs> 98 so far is as old as I've gotten. You can contact me um, and invite me to come speak or just to come and, like, hang out at your house. I've got a podcast. Um, you can listen to the podcast. I've got a YouTube channel. You can watch the vlog. I just do really far too many things. And you're awesome at it. And we <laughs> just are so, so happy that you joined us today. And this was so much fun. Thank you Thank so you much. Guys. This has been great. God bless. Same to you. That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Longview Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also, share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ace friend, your mom, anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in the search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast. Sounds like you're teaching summer school. Sorry to burst your bubble, but... You like summer school. I mean, it's kind of a different pace. She's right? very passionate about what she does. I love working with her. Ah, it's all about sorry. doing good things. All right. Meg's multitasking our banter. I'm looking how, that's how good our That's how good our banter is. I was learning about St. Benildas so I could Sorry. That's fine. Okay. All the time. We can cut I'll it out. I'll just edit that. That's what was... editing is for, right? I was like, that's weird. Why are they playing a song? And I was like, no. <laughs> we should keep this in. This should be your intro. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Meg, and I'm kind of an idiot. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm lost now. That's so, fine. summer school.
Yeah.